And welcome to another edition of Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you, my friend, to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom, and coming up on the show, the state of education continues to be an upheaval. Do you agree? Well, maybe if you have kids in school, maybe you see it more than if you don't have kids in school. If you have kids versus if you don't have kids, if you look at it from the perspective of politics or through the lens of politics, your view on education or views on education might be one thing compared to maybe just a parent who wants their kid to be educated. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, before we jump into it, keep in mind that this has been ongoing through the ages. Always school, home life, parents, interaction with teachers, students, the whole dynamic, okay? And it's evolved. Obviously, it's evolved throughout the years. Um, But recently, like a lot of other states in the union, Nebraska, their legislature, their unicameral, is introducing a parent's bill of rights. Now, when I say parent's bill of rights and education, what comes to mind? Take a moment. Think about it. Basically, what this will allow is for parents to know what's in the curriculum of education, what books are in the school's libraries, and they will have control, how much control to be determined, but have control over what is taught. Parents can then sue if they don't like what they see. A lot in there, isn't it? A lot to be figured out. I mean, think about suing a teacher because you don't like a book in the school library. I mean, what's going to happen to the Dewey Decimal System if we start suing librarians? It's going to fall apart and wreak havoc on our libraries across America. Um, A Bill of Rights was uh, proposed in other states such as Florida, Kansas, and Missouri. Overall, 84 similar bills were filed in 26 states last year. This according to Georgetown University, their think tank called Future Ed. So again, where do we stand between the relationship between parents and schools, school boards, education, and what rights do parents have? Now, if you think back a couple years to the Commonwealth of Virginia, you might recall this whole thing going on between parents and school boards. And so if you ask, should parents have a say, former governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, said absolutely not. Parents should not have any say when it comes to the education of their children. Meanwhile, current governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, says parents should absolutely have a right in saying what they're being taught, or as, that, as uh, it goes, their kids are being taught, and thus the, the bill in Florida. And so it's uh, one of those things. How much control, how much influence, how much should parents be involved? Now, the Bill of Rights proposal has been inspired lately by fears from some parents that their children are being taught, amongst other things, sex education that is not age-appropriate, critical race theory, 
which if you don't really know what the basis of it is, I'll let you know in a minute. Um, they're afraid that critical race theory is a part of instruction for K through 12. And then inappropriate books that are being stocked in school libraries. And so what this does, this Bill of Rights, it creates a transparency portal in which parents can go on to uh, websites and it lists all the library books, learning materials, activities, and curriculum that is used for student instruction. Uh, the big thing right now is this SEL, social and emotional learning, and the materials that come along with that, and that's where they slide in, apparently, woke ideology, CRT, possibly transgender ideology, and so forth. Now, parents under this bill can request that a school determine whether books or materials should be marked as parental review recommended. If they contain inappropriate sexual content, or excessive violence or profanity. Quick note, if I may, if we are concerned as parents about the content of what is being taught at school, what content is in books in libraries, what content is being used in SEL. Okay, parents, note for you, if you're concerned and per- perhaps might object to content, then you better make sure you know what's on your kid's phone, what social media platform they are watching, what engagements are being taken place in social media on their platforms. Because if you're throwing a hissy fit about some of this stuff, what's on your kid's phone is far worse than what they've got going on at school. So just keep that in mind as we move on. Now, again, parents and parents' rights and education is absolutely important, and it really should be a teamwork. I mean, seriously, right? Shouldn't it be a teamwork with parents, teachers, and schools to educate? But again, if you're going to be this concerned about what's being taught in schools, parents, you need to make sure that you have control over your kids' social media because the content on social media platforms is way worse than what you might find and more abundant than what you might find in school libraries. It's way worse than the racist Dr. Seuss, Green Eggs and Ham. But let's move on. These bills also state that parents have rights to expect that their children not be taught or to bear a guilty conscience or that they're not inherently responsible for actions committed in the past. An apparent reference to the critical race theory or the fact that just because you are white, you are responsible for slavery as a second grader in the year 2023. So again, that's the uh, parents' bill of rights that's going through, in this particular case, the Nebraska state legislature, the unicameral in Lincoln, Nebraska, but Kansas and others like Florida and others. Uh, Virginia had a big upheaval over their educational system. And in fact, they voted out a bunch of school board members and got a new governor a couple years ago. So a parent's bill of right, is that a good thing? Well, before we delve into that, maybe we should take a look at um, what should a parent's role in education be? I would say to parents, insert yourself very, very aggressively and be the parent of power in your child's life. 
and influence them for life. You can make the difference. You have to believe in yourself and trust that you are the most important person in this child's life forever. That's why this child was given to you and not to somebody else. And your job is a job for life. Whatever your children decide to become and whatever your children do in life, it is your duty and responsibility to love them and to care for them and to guide them and to be in their lives. So I would say to parents, accept that because it is a wonderful role that you can play in somebody's life. And so there, the comments are mentioned that uh, you need to insert yourself into your child's life. And of course, this goes beyond education, absolutely. Be a parent of power. You should be able to motivate and inspire these youngings to uh, do great things. It's a job for life. I made sure that my parents had a job for life. Trust me on that. And so that's what you kind of want to do as a parent, right? You want to make sure that you love them, you care for them, and you nurture and foster a type of person that will then become a prosperous adult. Obviously, it doesn't happen all the time. There's a lot of checked out parents that use school as babysitting and various things. So again, we're not talking about a one-size-fits-all problem or solution to a problem. In fact, we're not talking about a one-size-fits-all problem. Problems can be as diverse as students are, okay? But what are we talking about specifically as parents and their roles in education? And again, should parents have a say in what is being taught to their kids? So on the surface, depending on what side of the fence you're on, I find it interesting that it's become very politicized. I mean, think about this. If you are a Democrat or a liberal, if you want to bring it into the political arena, you are definitely parents need to stay out. Don't understand that, but okay. If you are a Republican or a conservative, you are absolutely parents should have a say, so much so that, you know, you're even an advocate maybe for uh, homeschooling, okay, that taboo subject of homeschooling. So, again, I don't understand why we're talking about it from political terms because, again, when you bring it into the political arena, nothing gets solved. Federal government isn't going to solve anything. It starts at the grassroots level. Okay, so, yeah, parents should know, right? You should know what's being taught in school. I mean, there used to be parent-teacher conferences, I think it's still ongoing. Uh, There used to be back-to-school nights. Uh, Parents used to get a boatload of crap sent home in a uh, daily folder or maybe a a weekly folder of all the kids' work. Um, I know arts and crafts used to be sent home. I know teachers didn't want that laying around. But then parents, did you or do you look at them? Uh, I'm a part of a... uh, Every once in a while, I'm a part of a, a school where I'm watching kids and teaching, and we fill out these books, and we send them home, and it's supposed to be signed by the teachers and then signed by the parents, and then they can see that communication is going back and forth in these kind of communication books. Well, there's often times that the teacher might make a request of the parent, and it goes two, three days before the parent even sees the request because they're not looking at these communication books. They're not signing them. Two, three, four days go by, no parent signature. Maybe the parent forgot. Maybe they didn't look at it. Maybe they don't care. That's the parent's responsibility. But again, there are efforts being made to keep that communication going in certain areas. And some teachers do it great. Some school districts do it great. States do it great. Again, it depends. But there are places where, one, parents and teachers are not communicating. They're at odds with each other. And there are other places where 
parents, uh, communication between parents and teachers have just fallen apart. Teachers are too busy. They're not sending stuff home. Uh, behavior issues become the predominant means of communication instead of academics, and it just becomes a, a communication nightmare. But, yeah, absolutely parents should know what's going on in school. I think we should all agree on that, right? Especially when we just heard about parents' role in education, and now we should be the most important person in our kids' lives, and we should be a parent that inserts ourselves into kids' lives and be the person of power. Now, the idea that educators or school boards are the only ones that should have say, wouldn't that be ridiculous? It's not their kids. In fact, school boards, what's a school board? It's just a bunch of elected people. Maybe a bunch of elected people that were elected by people that don't have kids in school. Do you ever think about that? So you get elected by the constituency in a school district, but maybe you don't even have kids in school. And a lot of times people use school boards as a springboard to a future political office. Uh, Parents need to take a proactive role in their child's education, but we don't do it a lot. Schools have become free babysitting. Uh, Parents are checked out. Maybe they're working too hard. Maybe they just don't care. Maybe they need some me time. Unfortunately, I've been a part, well, not saying unfortunately, fortunately, I've been a part of the education system for a very long time in many different capacities, from teacher, custodian, coach, I mean, you name it. Uh, What's that, uh, PTO, parent-teacher organizations type stuff, you know, those type of advisory committees, uh, although not PTO specific, but, you know, those type of things, executive board members. So I've seen a lot, been a part of a lot. And unfortunately, there are times, I remember specifically this happened many, many years ago, and it still kind of crushes me every time I hear about it. There was a student every day would get dropped off at 6 a.m. for pre-school daycare, you know, before the school starts daycare, morning daycare. And then the mom wouldn't pick up the kid until 6 p.m. when daycare, after school daycare closed. So the kid's at school for 12 hours. One time, I was curious as to why, Was the mom working late? Was she a single mom? What was the deal? Well, what happened is she did work, you know, an early shift, but she'd get off, I think, work about three or so, maybe three or four. And then instead of coming, picking up her kids, she would go get her nails done. She would do shopping. She'd do all these things and leave her kid at daycare. I thought that was kind of one of the most horrendous things that you can do to a kid is leave them in daycare while you go take care of yourself and pamper yourself. Should pick up your kid. But again, there's people out there, parents out there that will do that. On the flip side, I knew another kid whose dad was a single dad, and he got dropped off at the donut shop across the street because the donut shop opened at 5, 5.30, and the dad had to be at work at 6 prior to when morning daycare opened. So the kid would be at the donut shop and then cross the street and go to daycare. Now, fortunately, after school, he wasn't there very long. Dad would come pick him up. So, again, you've got all these different things. So, I know it's as independent as the families, okay? It's a diverse problems as the family. But here is just in the same school, the same school year, the same class, two kids having to deal with parents dropping them off and dealing with education and daycare and work and so forth. But two different ways to approach it. How would you approach it, I guess? So, yeah, we should take proactive roles. Parents should take proactive roles and not allow schools just to be babysitting or you shouldn't be checked out. I mean, 
kids got to be the first and most important thing, right? Got to remember, too, that teachers, you know, they're not perfect, okay? They are people. They come with problems, everyday problems, just like you and I, just like parents. Uh, They've got personal biases. They've got opinions. They've got their own ideology belief system. So where's the balance between that and having it being introduced into the classroom? That's a fine line. In fact, I've had conversation many times with educators about where do you draw the line when it comes to your ideology, whatever it is that you believe in, and bringing that into the classroom. And for the most part, it goes back to, at least with the people I've talked to, an awareness of what is educational versus what is personal. At least these people, these educators thought about it. I mean, think about what happened in uh, Virginia, like I mentioned earlier, right? Became politicized very badly. The Virginia school boards of Loudoun County, Fairfax County, remember those? Introducing CRT. And so parents were upset about that, so they would go to the school boards. And then what happened? Members of the school board called these parents domestic terrorists, wanted the National Guard called in for parents protesting at school boards what was being taught to their children. And then school boards would cut mics, shut them out, kick out the open comments sections and do all kinds of things. Why are you on a school board if that's your mentality? You should not be on a school board because we'll find out in a little bit reasons why. They wanted um, recently, okay? So that was a couple years ago. Now, recently, same area, they started to withhold academic achievement from smart and successful students in the name of equity because other students failed to achieve. They had a lack of achievement. And again, it came back to the fact that a lot of these students that were achieving, receiving these, like, merits, you know, merit awards and stuff like that, national awards that would implicate or have implication for them getting to college and maybe having preferential uh, access to college because of their academics and things like that, right? They were Asian students. So basically they were having a, a negative effect against Asian students that were smart because other students were not as smart, supposedly, as it goes. So you can look it up, do the research yourself. Or how about even the most egregious when a school board was covering up a sexual assault because it didn't fit with the LGBT ideology of same-sex bathrooms versus bathroom of how you feel. So again, school boards have become very dangerous. So again, when you look at the surface of the Parents' Bill of Rights, you might think, okay, yeah, parents should have a say, but really sue teachers, sue school districts? Well, maybe not. Well, as you dig a little deeper, maybe it's required in some cases. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, parents are going to sue, 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 sue. Well, I think most parents have common sense. And again, common sense, using your brain, looking at the evidence, looking at what's going on, reason, logic. Those are things we've lost in America, common sense, reason, logic. That's how I approach the show. And I've mentioned it before in other episodes, common sense, logic, reason, and then do the investigation or looking for the information, the research I do myself beyond the headlines, okay? Nobody's going to just tell me information and I just accept it. I'm going to do the research on it. Another quick example. 
Ohio School District. They are struggling, apparently. There was an undercover video in which staffers were saying that they mislead parents who oppose critical race theory and other related concepts that are being taught to their kids. Iowa and a couple other states had teachers on these undercover videos get caught admitting to lying to parents about what's being taught. So again, if you don't know what uh, critical race theory is, basically it's an academic concept that I guess goes back more than 40 years. And the core idea is that race is a social construct and that racism is not merely the product of individual bias or prejudice, but also something embedded in legal systems and policies. So basically it's systemic racism. And if apparently you don't agree with somebody else, then you're just racist. If it doesn't benefit somebody else, you're just racist. And so you could do the research yourself and, and look up more. But that's on the premise of what it is. And then you have other things that are being in, uh, introduced, um, transgender ideology. You know, we talked about bathrooms. There's that whole thing about athletes. Should transgender athletes compete on which teams? You've got uh, CRT, wokeness, all in education. I mean, think about most recently, what's the, what was the biggest or latest news headline trend? transgenders reading uh, school kids' stories at libraries or young kids going to drag shows. See, nobody cared about transgender ideology until you brought kids into it. That's when people started to really care and take note. That's when the fight began. You leave the kids out of it, go do your thing. You bring kids into it, now parents are going to push back. Would you not? If you had a pedophile, a convicted pedophile, I'm not saying transgender people or anything. It's a different analogy. But if you knew somebody was in proximity to your kid that was dangerous, would you not take action to remove them from that environment? Yes, you would. At least I hope you would. Now, again, when you bring it to drag queen story time, are the drag queens really a danger? No. They're people. However, when you sexualize it and you bring them to these shows and you start to sexualize it, it becomes a problem for parents. And parents don't want that. And yet now people are doing that. What about pronouns? All kinds of headlines about teachers and school districts telling uh, teachers not to inform parents about decisions regarding pronouns. By the way, pronouns is the most dumbest thing ever. When we're arguing about which pronoun you are, and I think it's the most hilarious thing in academia, because if you understood exactly what a pronoun was, I refer to myself as she, they. Okay, well, I don't refer to you as a pronoun. I refer to you as a proper name, whatever your name is. I talk to them, I'm going to refer to other people in terms of pronoun. So you can identify as whatever the hell you want to identify as, but when I'm talking to this person and you're not in the conversation, it doesn't matter. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to this person, referring to other people through the use of pronouns so that people can understand what is going on. Have you ever tried to read an article or something that included these pronouns? They, them, don't know what's going on. So again, the pronoun thing is the most ridiculous thing in the world. How about the fight against charter schools? What about problems with the unions? I've got some information about unions coming up in a little bit that I want to share. What about taxes that are funding schools? If I'm paying my taxes and my taxes are going towards funding, 
shouldn't I have a say as to maybe what's going on? See, school's funny because colleges and private schools, it's the only place where you pay them and they tell you what to do. I've always found that fascinating. When I was going to college, I'm chunking out money to take classes and then they tell me what to do. That's the most asinine thing in the entire world. If I'm paying for something, I should have a say in that. Now, granted, there's standards and stuff. I think we should revolutionize and kind of revamp the whole educational system, including what it, what it takes to become a teacher, who can teach, and things like that. Because we've gotten way off course. It's too much about the money, which we'll get to in a minute. Uh, what about things like Common Core? Remember Ebonics? If you don't know what Ebonics is, it was uh, a form of language that came out of the Oakland School District that utilized uh, African dialect with English language, basically became a sort of slang. So go look it up. But these were all things that were just kind of being brought into schools that people have kind of pushed back on that have gotten us to where we are today. And so again, what does it bring us to? It's no surprise to anyone that we have a major teacher shortage this year. Teachers are walking out of schools this year at an alarming rate. And you want to know why? I'll tell you exactly why teachers are quitting. Coming home mentally, physically, and emotionally exhausted. Some teachers are coming home having endured being hit, kicked, bit, slapped by students and we're exhausted to the point where we can't even take care of our own kids because we are so drained at the end of the day because of all the stuff we're dealing with at school this year the kids this year they don't know how to play with each other they don't know how to stop playing with each other they don't know how to sit down be quiet to not call their teacher's name a hundred times we have had to reacclimate them to being in school again some of them haven't been in school for two years I don't understand why we're just picking back up business as usual. We are absolutely dog tired and exhausted. We have to do something because what we're doing is not working. We got admin and district officials shouting practice self-care while continually adding a million things to our plates. If y'all really cared about us practicing self-care, we wouldn't be made to feel bad when we need to take a mental health day or when we have to take a personal day off. I mean, you got teachers out here coming to school mentally sick, coming to school physically sick because their admin make them feel bad if they have to miss a day because there's a teacher shortage. I shouldn't have to sacrifice my health because y'all don't have any teachers. Our prep time is gone because there's a teacher shortage and a substitute teacher shortage. So nine times out of 10, we are having to cover a class during our prep period. So when am I supposed to lesson plan, grade these papers, get prepared for teacher observations? And I don't even know why y'all are still doing teacher observations. We've got kids missing an entire class period, missing the first part of class because they didn't have a bus driver to come pick them up because of the bus driver shortage. We got kids missing class and we got parents that are upset with us as their teacher that they weren't in class. I can't control that they didn't have a bus driver to come pick them up. But all of these shortages, they are affecting these students' education this year. How do you expect us to teach and get our kids on grade level when half of our class is late because they didn't have a bus driver? And last but not least, teacher pay. Now more than ever, teachers are looking for a way to leave education, like exit stage left immediately. The situation is that dire. 
There are a lot more jobs that pay way better than education and you don't have to deal with crazy parents and power hungry admin or district officials that have not seen the broad side of a classroom in about 20 years. The sad reality is there are so many teachers in this country that can't afford to pay their bills because they make so little money being in education. I mean, the amount of teachers that have to work a second job just to be able to pay their bills, astronomical. So a lot of teachers are starting to realize the pay plus the amount of stress that we have to deal with, not worth it anymore. And that's where we become. We've become or have gotten to the point where people are quitting, teachers are quitting. And we have a mass exodus and a vacuum of teachers. And so they talked about pay. They talked about the abuse. They talked about the parents. They've talked about the shortage of other resources, such as bus drivers and things like that, that teachers have no control over. So, yeah, then when you throw in things like an ideology or curriculum that parents push back on, it becomes chaotic and teachers are like, I'm done. And you talk about the pay. Okay. How about this? So a shortage of teachers, they're leaving for many different reasons, but pay is a big one. And so the Seattle public schools, they came up with a diversity department or something for equality and all that stuff. And so what happens? You have diversity, equity, and inclusion employees for the Seattle public school district. Okay. Some guy by the name of James Bush was making 241,000 when he got promoted to chief of equity partnership and engagement. And again, it's all about inclusion and race relations and things like that. Okay. Go look it up yourself because it's endless of what it could be, but almost a hundred thousand dollar raise just from going to whatever he was to chief of equity partnership and engagement. Does that have anything to do with the classroom? Probably not. Has he ever been in the classroom? I don't know. But again, 241,000. How about Mia Williams, Chief of Office of African American Male Achievement? 231,000. How about Manal Al Ansi? 154,000 as Director of Racial Equity Advancement. How about Keisha Scarlett? 231,000, which is up from 158,000 when she was made Chief Academic Officer of Inclusion. A first year teacher, mind you? With a bachelor's degree, makes $63,000. Now, you might say, that's a lot, but it's not really when you think about all the things that they do. So a teacher in the classroom, the granite, first-year teacher, it's based on experience and stuff like that. But James Bush, does he have any experience as chief of equity, partnership, and engagement? Probably not. But he's getting big salaries. So what happens is you got these administrators that sit disconnected in their administration offices making big bucks doing whatever it is they do, kind of like a mini Capitol Hill where they just sit there and engage in whatever that comes across, and they're disconnected from the classroom. And they're making big money, and this is how it is all across the country. Pick any school district. Pick LAUSD. Pick New York City. Pick whatever school district and look into it and see how much money is being spent on big-time administrator administration salaries expenses for lunches and who knows whatever else versus how it goes to the classroom. Again, I have to bring up the California lottery. When California lottery was first presented a number of years ago, was it even the eighties? Maybe it was in the eighties. The whole pitch was that money and education would no longer be a problem. 
There will always be money for education. That's what the lottery was for, money for education. As California teachers and school districts and people now, where's that money? They don't have it. There's a big lie. Or if it wasn't a lie, it definitely got misspent uh, and misappropriated over the years, and the money's not there, and teachers don't have the resources. But the fat cats at the administration office, they have it. So why is there diversity, equity, and inclusion? Why are they making money? Sure, we probably need it, but do they really need to make extra amounts of money? Do you really need to go from 151000 to 241000 just because you got promoted to chief equity, partnership, and engagement? Probably not. Imagine that $90,000 going towards an elementary school in the district instead of this fat cat's wallet. Imagine uh, Mia Williams or maybe Keisha Scarlett and her, what, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 that she got when she got upped. Imagine the, between those two people alone, that's almost $200,000. Imagine how much $200,000 could go in those public schools. That'd be a lot. Teacher salaries, resources, hiring bus drivers so students can get to school on time. Why are administrators making so much money? Oh, they earned it. Did they really? Or were they appointed? Were they teachers before? Did they go just get a doctorate degree in organizational leadership? educational leadership and now they're qualified or have they done actual leadership stuff did they go through the ranks teacher vice principal principal whatever i don't know because i haven't looked into it here but those are questions that should be asked what makes these people qualified to hold these positions and make this much money or could this money be better spent in other places absolutely it could be and it should be real quick on unions I know people pay uh, money into unions, whether you like unions or not, but think about this for a second, okay? The uh, American Federation of Teachers, uh, Randy Weingarten, you've seen her on TV. She makes an average salary or uh, basically a salary of almost $500,000 a year. On top of that, $74,000 in other expenses and compensations, almost $600,000 a year. Okay, that's according to the American Federation of Teachers Revenue uh, tax form. Okay, now the median salary for public schools is 62000 Again, as a union president, $500,000, $600,000. Why? Then on top of that, you have 43 VPs listed on their website, the union's website. So if she's making almost $600,000, let us just say you have 43 making $100,000, which, you know, which is not the case. Imagine how that adds up. And in fact, I had their um, document here, and I think it stated that they have about $212 million that they spend. The union, this is just the union, okay? So think about this. You're paying your dues to the union, okay? So in salaries, benefits, and payroll tax at the national offense for governance, it's nearly $5 million. And you take a look at these expenses, uh, mobilization and organization, basically protesting, Political and legislation advocacy, $55 million on advocacy, $41 million spent on organization and mobility or mobilization. And so when you take a look at the consolidated statement for functional expenses, that includes salaries, benefits, payroll taxes, professional fees, travel, meetings, assistance to uh, states, uh, rebates, marketing and promotions, publications, on and on, printing and postage. $212 million 
goes towards that. $212 million goes towards education, but nothing educational. So a lot of money is being spent, and it's not benefiting students, not benefiting teachers, not benefiting anybody academically or educationally. Sure, unions may. They sit there and they may say, you know, we're going to help you with uh, salaries and negotiate contracts and stuff like that. But to the tune of $212 million, to the tune of $600,000 if you're a union president, and that doesn't even include the money spent on the National Education Association. Okay, so... What about kids? Fat cats are making their dough. So the program for international student assessment, which tests 15-year-old students around the world and is administered by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. Well, U.S., they, they do these testings. The U.S. placed 11th out of 79 countries in science, but ranked 30th out of 79 countries in math. 11th and 30th. Now, I'm in a program where I help uh, teach uh, English and math. And yeah, people's reading skills are a lot better than their math skills. When math became, when math was numbers, people get it. When numbers became letters, people lost out. But 30th. So all these people having equity and all these unions and all this other stuff going on with administration, making all this money, teachers now leaving. We've got a teacher crisis. We've got a resource crisis. And now you look at the, the numbers compared to the rest of the world, and the U.S. isn't faring very well. U.S. scored 478 in math, which is below the worldly average of 489. It's well below the scores in the top five, so not even doing well in math. Asia, Singapore, Macau, Hong Kong, Asian students doing well in Virginia, having their merits and their awards and their academic success acknowledgments denied or hidden because of inclusivity, diversity, because other non-Asian students aren't doing well. So now Virginia and the school boards are facing backlash because these Asian students have excelled. Well, it's globally. In science, the U.S. scored at 502, which is a little bit above the 489 average. But again, Singapore, Macau, Estonia, Japan, and Finland in the top five. So when you analyze the U.S. results over the years, it's clear that the scores have been stable, they say, not declining, but there's no sign of improvement. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? No marked or detectable change in U.S. students' math scores since 2003 or science scores since 2006. So basically when these numbers come out, it's the other countries that are making the moves up and down. We're just staying stagnant. Last time I checked, stagnant isn't good. Stagnant water can draw mosquitoes. Mosquitoes may have malaria and other types of diseases. Things go bad with stagnant water, right? Stagnant education, that's where we sit. So we're saying stagnant in our education. Educational entities don't want parents involved. Parents want to get involved, and now there's a fight. Parents that don't want to get involved and are checked out, they're revered. And in the end, who is affected? It's the students, They have become pawns for an agenda. Need to overhaul the educational system. Probably should get rid of the Department of Education. Have they really done anything? Every administration that comes in, it just changes. So when the last president was in office, we had four years of conservative-type policies, I guess, and thoughts. Now we have liberal. 
Do we really need Department of Education? Probably not. Do we need unions? Probably not. Do we need to get rid of politics in school? The politicizing of our education? Absolutely. We should revamp teacher education. Obviously, we should look at salaries. What about reciprocity requirements? You take a look at the country now, a lot of people leaving New York, California, for example, New Jersey, going other places, people moving around, right? What's the reciprocity? If you're a teacher in one state, can you teach in another state? I don't know. Some states you can't. You have to go back to school. Are you really going to go back to school? Probably not. Are you going to go back to school for two, three years so you can get a teaching certificate or teaching degree, whatever it is, in another state after you've gotten a master's at your previous state? No, you're not. Financial reform. Maybe we should dump this high-dollar position that people are holding that has absolutely nothing to do with academics or the education of our kids. Do they really need to make that much money? $250,000 to be a diversity, equity, and inclusion management officer or something? And then most importantly, school choice. That's the big one. Students can pick and choose. Parents can pick and choose. Go to the best education that is being offered. And some people say, no, we can't because we're going to lose students. Yeah, well, you better up your game. If you're afraid that you're going to lose students to school choice, maybe you should up your game. Speaking of school choice, Iowa, they just passed a school's choice plan. And again, it was heavily divided between Republicans and Democrats. But now the money, so when a kid goes to school, the taxpayer money goes to that school and they get X amount of dollars per kid per school, right? Well, now that money that would go to that school, mainly a public school, will now be used to go to the school of the kid's choice. So let's say you have uh, in K through 12, I think it's about $7,600 that a state might pay to that school for that kid going to school. Instead of that public school getting the money, if it chose to go to a private school, now the private school would get that money, which means that probably with tuition costs at private schools, they will drop down, becomes more affordable, more kids might go to the private schools, which means public schools might lose out, and they lose out on money as well. But school choice in Iowa is taking place, and apparently $340 million annually could potentially switch hands from the public school system to the private or school choice program. It's called, uh, they're saying it's empowering parents. So that's one way that parents are becoming more involved in some state school choice. Other states, they don't want that. Uh, Here's a story from the New York Post, okay? New York Post, this was at the beginning of the school year, 2022-2023 school year. School starting, but don't count on getting answers about what your child is being taught. School administrators commonly lie or give parents the runaround as the article goes. And it goes on to explain how parents get lied to by administrators and teachers about what's being taught. I guess there was some undercover video from a elementary school assistant principal in Greenwich, Connecticut, Greenwich, Connecticut, bragging that schools or his particular school pushes kids to think in a progressive way that he hopes will make them democratic voters. Quote, he explains in a video that when he hires as a vice principal, he looks at it from an indoctrination perspective teacher view. And he says that Catholics who are over 30 are automatically disqualified 
because they don't change. They're too set in their ways. Catholics are unlikely to acknowledge a child's gender preference or go against the parents. So you don't hire them. You don't hire somebody that might side with parents. You got to get rid of them. Instead, they go for younger people that you can easily indoctrinate. And it goes on and on. Another one, somebody from the uh, Trinity School on the Upper East Side of New York swears, I guess this is uh, Jen Norris, Director of Student Activities at Trinity School on the Upper East Side, swears she'll never allow a Republican speaker at the school, not on my watch, quote. Secrecy is the problem across the country. Officials discourage parents' inquiries and throw up roadblocks to those who persist that want the information. Jackie Homan, who has three sons at this Greenwich uh, High School, says that when she questioned the curriculum at the Board of Education meeting, they laughed her out of the room. When she filed for a Freedom of Information Act request after months of runaround, got some information, but not what she was looking for. And again, got nothing when it came to SEL or the social and emotional learning, which is where your CRT and other things come in. And the school said she couldn't have that material because it was copyright. However, it was then pointed out that all material is copyrighted at schools. How about Pennsylvania's West Perry School District? Same pretext to turn other inquiring parents away. Now, it's copyright. We can't give it to you. When a Fort Worth, Texas mother released or requested a list of books that her children were being assigned, the school district told her that she'd have to pay nearly $1,300 for someone to compile that list. You want the list? You have to pay $1,300 for it. New York Post article. Things going on around this country. SEL. Classes shrouded in secrecy. Social and emotional learning meant teaching children to control their emotions and get along in class. I guess that's originally what it was. You're going to control emotions, how you're going to resolve conflicts and things like that with your peers. But now apparently it's transformative, which means that the American Federation of Teachers wants to use it to promote social justice. And it goes on and on. And like I said, a school from Idaho canceled language arts in response to people's or parents' protests over SEL. It's on and on and on, the fight between teachers and parents, teachers in schools. Why is a vice principal dismissing Catholics? Because he has a political agenda. Why is this other school district not giving the information to the parents? Because they're hiding something. If you have to do something in secrecy, or if you're keeping something from somebody else, chances are it's probably wrong, Right? If you're in a relationship and you keep secrets from the other person, you're probably doing something wrong. Not always. Maybe a birthday's coming up or something like that, or maybe you don't want to get your ass kicked, so when that significant other says, uh, you like my hair? Oh, yes. Do these jeans make me fat? Oh, no. So you may lie to protect yourself. But again, why are you doing something in secrecy? Why are you lying? Probably because you have an agenda that you don't want out there. And that is where it becomes wrong. And so at first, when I was reading this whole thing about parents and their uh, Bill of Rights and the transparency, but then when I saw the suing part, I was like, well, that seems to go a little bit far. But then as you delve into it more and more, it kind of makes sense so that parents have the ability to combat some of this stuff that's going on. I know if I had kids in school and I had to endure some of this, and let's say I just went and questioned something, and I was getting the runaround. That pissed me off. I'd want recourse. 
And if I could sue, I'd slap a lawsuit on that person. Absolutely. I wouldn't do it willy-nilly just because, but it would be a great resource for me to be able to do that. Well, then what about this teacher? Kristen Pincer. I've used it on the show before. She was bragging on social media. I think she ultimately got removed from the classroom, but she was bragging on social media about this. Okay, so during third period, we have announcements and they do the Pledge of Allegiance. I always tell my class, stand if you feel like it, don't stand if you feel like it, say the words if you want, don't have to say the words. So my class decided to stand but not say the words. Totally fine. Except for the fact that my room does not have a flag. It used to be there. But I took it down during COVID because it made me uncomfortable. And... um, I packed it away and I don't know where and I haven't found it yet. (laughs) But my kid today goes, hey, um, it's kind of weird that we just stand and then, you know, we say it to nothing. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got to find it. Like I'm working on it. I got you. (laughs) In the meantime, I tell this kid, we do have a flag in the class that you can pledge your allegiance to. And he like looks around and he goes, oh, that one? So here of a teacher making a mockery of the Pledge of Allegiance, making a mockery of the American flag, lying to a student because she said she's working on it, but she wasn't. You can see in the video that she's like not working on it. She's trying to impose an ideology that she believes in into students. So now what if a parent wanted to question that person, that teacher, about that ideology that she's spreading? What's that going to look like? How does that affect the student? But again, a teacher lying? What happens when now we are teaching students to lie? It's a mockery is what it is. It's a mockery of education. The fact that she was removed is probably a good thing. And it goes on and on. There's all kinds of teachers out there like that, that they have an agenda that they want served. They're not in it for the education. I don't know why you would teach such a hard and demanding job if you're not there for the kids. If you're not putting the kids first, you probably shouldn't be teaching. Go be an activist someplace else. Go join a think tank or an organization and go march. But no, they want to indoctrinate kids. Because again, it's a heart problem. What's on the heart comes out. So on this teacher's heart, when she was lying to the student, making a mockery of it, laughing about it, her deception, that's what's on her heart. That's what she believes. That's what she lives. She's not out there to make anybody great. She's not out there inspiring and motivating people to bring out their inner greatness. She's doing just the exact opposite, bringing out the worst in people. That's the example that she is setting. You know, the other thing, too, when you think about it is, what is it that people are in education for? I mean, back in the day, it was about giving kids an opportunity to get ahead, giving opportunity for students to be able to maybe get out of where they're coming from, going new places they've never been. I'm a firm believer that education opens up doors that people may never see if they didn't have their education. You know, think about that. Think about how education can open up things. And I've been in situations, and I'm currently in a situation with a a job teaching where I'm starting to see the benefits of that. You're teaching and kids are achieving, students are achieving, students of all ages are achieving, and now it's opening doors to further education, opening doors to 
maybe better paying jobs, opening doors to a better lifestyle, because it's all about me trying to help a student live the life that they want to live versus living the life they have to live. Sure, I get paid for it. I mean, we have to have a job, right? So why not do something that can help others? Because after all, when you look at it, what's the prize? What's the prize in education? Yeah, so what's the prize we're going to get for learning this poem? Learning. Yeah. Knowing how to read something and understand it is the prize. Okay? Knowing how to think is the prize. I know how to think right now. Okay. Well, yeah, well, you know how to run, too, but not the way you could run if you train. You know, the mind is like a muscle, okay? And if you want it to be really powerful, you got to work it out, okay? Each new fact gives you another choice. Each new idea builds another muscle, okay? And it's those muscles that are going to make you really strong. Those are your weapons. And in this unsafe world i want to arm you and that's what these poems supposed to do yeah hey try it you're just sitting here anyway look okay if at the end of the term you're not faster stronger and smarter you will have lost nothing but if you are you'll be that much tougher knock down Education makes you stronger. It really does. Whether you use it or not, it makes you stronger. It makes you more in the know. Recently, you just see a lot of people getting educated via Twitter and social media, and that's why we're in a problem state that we're in socially. So again, I go back to the very beginning. Should parents have a Bill of Rights? Well, it shouldn't get to the point where we need a Bill of Rights, where we need legislation to allow parents into the classroom. That should have been done through mutual respect and teamwork, but instead now we have to have legislation because educators don't want parents to know what they're doing. They're domestic terrorists. They shouldn't know because it's not their kids. It's my kids. It's the school's kids. No, it's not. And so we have legislation now. Should there be lawsuits? Shouldn't be. But if that's a recourse, then maybe we need to have that. Maybe we need to have parents with a path to be able to take action if necessary. But what it comes down to really is communication. Parents and teachers and schools should be working together, not against each other. Kids, students, they're not pawns in a political agenda, but that's what they become. We no longer care about students' education. We care about indoctrinating them with a political ideology. It doesn't matter what the future is going to look like because we're living in the now. And that's a shame. That's too bad. We should be pushing our kids to achieve. We should pushing, be pushing our kids to get us into the top five globally when it comes to that academic research and academic testing. We should be striving to have higher reading levels. We should be striving to have higher math levels, science levels. But instead, it's all a political game. Parents should be able to go to school board meetings with requests and conversation. And school boards should be open to it, but they're not. We should be investing. Parents should be the most powerful influence in their kids. They should have a powerful influence. Not complete, but should be a powerful voice in education. Because after all, it's their kids. 
and they should have say in it. But if you're going to have two, three, four people on a school board or maybe a few administrators in the office sitting in their castle with their high salaries, making things, making decisions without input, it becomes becomes wrong. It's got to be a community. And again, it starts at the grassroots level. It starts at the grassroots level, and then from there, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our local schools, putting kids first, putting their education first, working together as a team with parents, with teachers, administrators, with school boards, with outside organizations, athletic coaches in the community, athletic coaches at the schools, civic organizers, civic organizations need to come together and be able to create an environment that fosters the path to success for kids and not the path to self-promotion. I'm going to do this because if I do, I will get a better position down the road. Sure, we want promotion. Sure, we want rewards for doing a great job. I'm fine with that. But this is a selfish, narcissistic agenda. I want to serve on a school board and assert my authority and my political ideology so that way then I can run for city council. And then from there, maybe county board of supervisors and then maybe state legislature and then maybe end up on Capitol Hill in Congress somewhere. And that's what it's become. And when you get to the college campus, it's a whole new ball game. That's steroids to the 10th degree when it comes to all of this that we've just talked about. So again, if you're a parent and you're concerned with all this, great. Keep pushing. But you should also be concerned about stuff that's going on outside of school. Who are they hanging out with? What's on their phone? What social media are they engaged with? What content are they watching? What movies? What video games? What music? If you're not concerned about that, you're a hypocrite. Because that is far more influential on kids today than, unfortunately, academics are. More people can tell you what the latest TikTok trend is or how to do the latest trendy dance. But yet they can't give you algebra. They can't give you math equations and solve it. You can't, they can't. It's something that needs to be changed and we need to work together. This is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, encouraging you to take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Hey, check out our website at RadioWarp.com. That's Radio W-A-R-P, RadioWarp.com. You can scroll through there and you can click on the uh, Two Steps Ahead podcast logo and all of our shows pop up in video form. And then there's a link to our SoundCloud account. You can click on that and it takes you to the audio page where you can download audio and take it with you on the go. There's also some other things on RadioWarp.com that you can enjoy, other podcasts. And there's a Listen Live button in the upper right-hand corner. You can click on that and listen to the podcast as it's scheduled throughout the week. Or you can listen to some music that's being played. It's a 24-hour streaming uh, radio station, so check that out. Instagram, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, link tree link in the bio. Click on that, and all of these options come up. You can listen to the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you are... Lost, just do an internet search, TWO, Two Steps Ahead Podcast, and we pop up. Hey, take your passion, make it happen, let yourself be great. I'm Son Edom. Hey, thanks for listening. Do tell a friend, and until next time, God bless.